This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rashes, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c Welcome to this very special episode because I am welcoming one of my favorite authors. Her name is Emily Oster. She is an economist, mother, and author of the New York Times bestselling book, Crib Sheet. Thank you for being here today, Emily. I am so excited to be here. I'm such a fan of your of your work, and I'm just, yeah, really excited to get to talk. You're a fan. I am obviously a fan. A little background, um, Crib Sheet is one of her books. She also has a book called Expecting Better. But Crib Sheet was recommended to me by one of my followers. I actually didn't know about the book until I became pregnant, and I was like, this looks great. And as a pediatrician, it resonated so much with me. For anyone who has not read Crib Sheet, It basically breaks down all of the things in motherhood or parenting that you may have heard some division on. So breastfeeding versus formula, sleep training, which method to do something like, you know, potty training or whatever it is. She just talks about circumcision. She talks about everything that you may be deciding on as a parent in an evidence-based educational economist mind way. So I love it. (laughs) economist mind that's like a good I don't know I I can use that that's like that's what I have or it's so great though and I love it because it comes from just a place of obviously you're a mom too um just giving the data making sure that parents don't feel guilted with the choices that they make because as a pediatrician that's my goal too um we can choose a little combination of everything as a parent and our kids turn out amazing so we are going to be talking about one of the many topics in her book crib sheet which is, is breast really best? So we're going to be breaking down the research, the limitations of the research behind breastfeeding and breast milk, and have just a healthy educational conversation about all this. Let's do it. So first of all, why did you decide to become an author, obviously after having a career as an economist, um, and write Crib Sheet? So I actually, I, I wrote Expecting Better when I was pregnant with my daughter and really sort of inspired by that experience and the feeling of like, I really want to see what the data says about the kinds of questions I was, I was asking during my, during my pregnancy. And then, um, and then, you know, a number of years later, I wrote Crib Sheet. Um, And by that time, I actually had had two kids. Um, And so I sort of say like the, the kind of working crib sheet is really inspired by having a second kid, because I feel like with my first kid, I was like, 
everything was, was like, just took over my mind. Like I was obsessed mm-hmm. about every tiny thing. I always tell the story about the time that like, I was on the internet, like looking for information about infant mittens, because my mom told me that like, if I put mittens on her, she would never learn to use her hands, which like, I, <laughs> I don't think it's true. Um, but, uh, but then when I had, you know, when I had a second kid, I think it becomes a little easier. You don't have quite as much time. It was like a little bit easier to sort of focus on what are the really like big picture kind of things that I really feel like we have to make decisions about. And then that's when I wrote Crib Sheet, which is really about a lot of those those choices and just thinking through, you know, what does the evidence say on this? And, and you know, how should I make a choice in a way that is going to make me happy and is going to work for my family? Yeah. And again, that's why I love this book so much. I actually read it on my baby moon to Hawaii and it was <laughs> such an easy read also. And like I said earlier, as a pediatrician, a lot of the topics I was just agreeing with you. I don't, I hadn't even met you or know you. And I was like, yes, yes, I completely agree. Yes. Because a lot of that information is all over the place. Um, and again, it was just so beautifully written and there are many topics that you discuss, but tell me more why you chose to dive into the topic of breastfeeding and breast milk research for the book crib sheet. Yeah, so I think that there's sort of two two big reasons why this gets so much attention in in the book. And you know, one is just I, for a lot of new parents and you know new moms in particular, this is such a big decision and it is so um you know emotionally fraught and there is so much societal pressure in various directions um so i think it it's just on a lot of our a lot of our minds it also happens to be a place where the evidence is um really mixed where it's very easy for people to feel confused mm-hmm. about like what's real in the in the science so it's it's both a place that i think is really important and a place where you know, the particular set of approaches and skills that I I bring here seem really relevant. Absolutely agree. And let's talk about the research. And for anyone who's listening, I want to remind you that we're just discussing limitations, what the research shows. We're going to have a healthy discussion about it. We are pro-breastfeeding. We're pro-formula feeding. I myself formula fed my son, but I still promote breastfeeding. And I believe Emily did a mixture of breastfeeding and formula feeding. So this is not to say that breastfeeding is not great. This is not to say that formula feeding is not great or better. This is just understanding the research behind breast milk and breastfeeding. So what do you think the limitations of breast milk and breastfeeding research are? So I think the biggest limitation is that for the most part, uh, the data that we have on this isn't from uh, random, like what we call randomized trials. And so most of the evidence that you see about breastfeeding is really like comparing uh, babies from moms who breastfed and, and moms who did not. Um, and But those groups tend to be pretty different in in a lot of other ways. So the like, yes. most obvious one is that on average, women with more education breastfeed more than women with less uh, education. And that's been true for a long time. There are, there are other differences um, across these groups. And so I think, you know, th- it's really hard to separate the breast milk from all of the other things that are, that are different. And that's kind of a canonical problem in a lot of things here, but really, really, really rears up in the case of breastfeeding. 
So let's talk about some of the general findings on the benefits of breast milk. What have you researched and obviously talked about in your book as well? So, you know, I think there's kind of, I separate in the book in sort of a couple of different categories. So there's kind of like the short run benefits. So things like, you know, like breastfeeding is like good for infant health in the first year, you know, things like digestion or ear infections and, and stuff like that. And, you know, we can talk about it more, but that's kind of a place where there's probably is a bit a bit better evidence of at least maybe some small positive effects. And then there's a whole category of things which I think are in many ways the pieces that kind of stress people out the most, which is this idea that like there are these long-term effects of breastfeeding Mm -hmm. that, you know, breast milk, kids who are breastfed are going to be smarter. They're going to have higher IQs. They're going to be thinner. They're going to be getting sick less um, in, you know, when they're older, they're going to have all kinds of like long-term there's going to be all kinds of long-term stuff um, that, that where there there are benefits, and I think that's what a lot of moms hear. You know, you have to give your kid the best start. It's the best. It's the best. And you know, if you don't like, you know, you've sort of failed at this first thing um, that you're supposed to be doing, and and that stresses a lot of people. It stressed me out. I don't know if it stressed you out. Oh, it did. But you know what? It it did stress me out. But because I understand the limitations of the research that you just mentioned. I know that, yes, there is a small, small benefit for breast milk that we, of course, understand that it's from mom. It's breast milk does, obviously, when a child's sick, mom's breast milk changes to, you know, nourish that child for their needs. If mom is sick, the breast milk can change. I mean, we know that, that that is an awesome thing about breast milk. But when you look at the long-term implications, like you mentioned, I know many formula-fed babies who did not have obesity, who don't, who are very high IQ, who don't get sick a lot. I'm going to use my husband and myself as an example. Um, We both were formula fed babies. And so it was very, it was hard to make that choice because I said, you know what, I would like to do this thing. I want to experience breast, breastfeeding for what it is. Um, You know, I want to try it, but for 24 hours, I was sad with my decision. But once I realized, you know, how healthy my son was and understanding, Hey, there are limitations. We are going to provide our son with so much in his life that is going to make it that he won't even ever remember or he won't, we won't even know that he was breastfed or not, right? So we talk about IQ. And you said it perfectly that when they do the research studies, they're not looking at the IQ of the parents per se, right? Maybe the breastfed moms were higher IQ to begin with, and maybe the formula-fed moms had a slightly lower IQ understanding socioeconomic levels understanding the people who do breastfeed. But what about a family like ours, who is a two-doctor family, you can say that we probably have a pretty decent IQ, who formula (laughs) fed their child. We're not understanding the genetics that come in to our intellect, to our weight, to our immune system. And that is not just how we are fed. And that is the big thing I, I want people to understand because our son eats a variety of different foods, spices. That's amazing for his immune system. Sure, he may get an ear infection, but I'm not going to blame it on the fact that I didn't breastfeed my son because a lot of kids get ear infections, including kids who are breastfed. No, totally right. And I think what really resonates there is is sort of when you – sometimes when we talk about this, we we sort of – people like talk about it as if the the effects are like – 
enor- even the, the possible effects are enormous. And we sort of had to say, like, even if there was some small effect on IQ, which just to be clear, not, nothing in the evidence would particularly support, right. it's, it's going to be tiny relative to the impacts of everything else about, you know, the genetics and the other things you do and all the other things that happen to your kid. And like, it just every, like all of these things we're talking about are really, really small. And, and, you know, there are, there are things sort of weighing in the other, um, you know, weighing in the other direction. Um, and I think that sometimes we can get really wrapped up in breastfeeding with sort of like, well, I, like I failed and then people can get very, um, can get very sad and it can really affect, you know, the way that they interact with the early period of their baby's life. When, when you look back on it and you sort of think, I mean, you're, you're still like a, li- a little, your kid's still fairly little, like my kids are five and nine. And when I look back now, it's like, and I look at their friends, like nobody had, I have no idea who was, who was breastfed. This isn't like this, this is, seems so important in the moment, but in the, mm-hmm. in the aggregate, it's, it's kind of like a, it's a pretty small thing relative to every other thing. Oh, and you said it perfectly. Like when you are so wrapped up in the decision, just say you made a choice not to breastfeed and you, it was what you wanted to do. And that emo- the emotions that come with that. And if you are, you're allowed to feel those emotions because I did too, but I want if you make that choice to formula feed and it was something that was hard for you, I want you to say, okay, I, I'm sad about this, but we're going to move forward. Because if you, like Emily said, like if you live in those emotions, you are taking away from all of the protective things that help enrich your child. Like we said, developmentally engaging with your child, reading to them, talking with them, playing with them. That is also very helpful for their development. The foods that we give them, everything that we do besides how we feed our babies their formula or breast milk in the first year or two of life is so much more protective and has a lot more of an impact on what Emily was saying, those long-term things that the research is saying. And I can't stress it enough. The, the problem I have with the research is that there just are not understanding that, yes, by nature, we know this, that formula-fed mothers tend to be of a lower socioeconomic status. That does not mean that all mothers who formula feed are. But when we look at the data, right? We, we know that. But that doesn't mean that a mother who formula fed their child is going to turn out to have a low IQ. And it does not mean that if you breastfed your child, that your child is going to have a high IQ. So there's so many other factors in parenting. Yeah. I mean, I think some of my favorite, some of the best studies of this are things where they look at like two siblings yes. where one is breastfed and one is not. And, you know, you can think people are like, well, why would that happen? It's like, well, I don't know. Like there was a medical issue. So you didn't breastfeed one of them, um, you know, a medical issue with mom or, you know, it was the second kid and you didn't do it or it was a second kid and you did do it. Just, you know, something, something happened. And, and there you really don't see any differences. So the, the two sort of two siblings, you're not seeing any differences in IQ, in, in obesity, any of these kind of things across the, the siblings. And it, and it really, really does look like it's sort of, it's differences across the moms, whether it's in education or, or IQ or other things that are kind of driving the differences we see across families and within families, those just sort of disappear. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's pretty convincing evidence that there's a lot of things that matter in your family. This particular thing is, is not driving those, those outcomes. 
Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. And I know there is obviously some data showing that when you are looking at benefit, breast milk does help with, I think the biggest thing was like neck, which is something in the NICU period. Do you want to explain a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think, you know, much of their, like the sort of early life stuff, there are more pieces where it looks like there are, there are benefits. Um, and so the most striking one is neck, the, um, you're going to be able to be be better at Uh, necrotizing enterocolitis, which is a 
a condition in pre, mainly premature babies um, in the NICU where basically their blood supply to their bowel shuts off. So we continue. Yeah. yeah. And so, and there you do see that, that, um, that breast milk either, you know, from mom or from a donor is actually better, leads to less, less likelihood of that complication than, than formula, which, you know, I think is, is consistent with kind of our understanding that this is an easier to digest food. And you see maybe a little bit of a hint of some of that digestion in, you know, the impacts on like gastrointestinal illnesses, even in healthy babies in the first year of life. But again, that's a sort of very, so that, that, that is a benefit, no, no question. Um, but it's, it's also a relatively short term kind of like a thing that is really closely linked to the moment of, of breastfeeding, as opposed to this idea that kind of in, that there's like this long-term, you know, thing, the way in which you're failing your, your baby. Yeah. And I think that's the message here. It's my message is for, you know, if a breastfed mom is breastfeeding, I want you to know that that's awesome. But if you choose to formula feed your baby, hey, that's actually pretty awesome too, because there are other things that we can do. And that kind of is what made me so comfortable with my choice. I mean, I, as you know, I have that following on Instagram and so many mothers would message me or, you know, DM me and say, thank you for sharing your story about doing formula feeding. And I forget that it is kind of a story because it's a choice that, many mothers still feel guilted for. And I said, I am making the best choice for myself and for my son. This is what I'm doing. And if my story helps you make the choice and feel happy with your choice, that is what I want. Because I don't want parents to just feel and live in that guilt for so long because their children will turn out awesome with the environment that they are in. Now, if you could design a study to assess the benefits of breastfeeding, what would you consider? Like if you were to, you know, kind of what we talked about, rehash, how would you design a study or what would you consider in that? Yeah. I mean, I think part of what's really hard is that what any effects that we're going to see, I think we know from the existing data are likely to be small. And so the first thing in my study is it would need to be really, really big um, because you need like a lot of people. Um, And the other thing is you can't actually force people to breastfeed or not. So any kind of study you would design of this, you would need to like encourage people to breastfeed versus not. But I will say what Mm. I think... um, where, where I think I would want to go with this is we still see pretty large socioeconomic status gaps, um, particularly racial gaps uh, in breastfeeding uh, within the within the U.S. Um, and those gaps are in breastfeeding like we're seeing people initiate breastfeeding in the hospital and then not continue even a few weeks out. And if we kind of think about where to the extent that there are benefits, where are they occurring? They're probably occurring most in the first few weeks. So I think my, if I were to do a study, I think I would really focus on that, on sort of being in hospital, like providing support to help women, uh, like continue breastfeeding even through, through a few weeks and then following up, really focus on some of this kind of early life health stuff rather than focusing on these long-term things and, and try to see, you know, if we can kind of move the needle a little bit on, on some of that. And honestly, like also help people who want to breastfeed, but, but struggle to do it. Because I think the other thing we never talk about very much is like, it's actually really hard. Yeah. Uh, It's just really hard. I found it really hard. And you said Uh, you did a mix, right? You did some pumping, some formula. Yeah. I think, you know, with my, with my daughter, I did, um, I, we like had a lot of, um, I had a lot of supply issues. And so I pumped and I fed her some and I fed her some formula. And with my son, it was like a little bit easier because I don't know, it's a second, it's a second kid, but we still eventually, uh, eventually did some formula because my like pumping supply just wasn't that, wasn't that good. And actually, you know, I remember I felt like when we finally quit breastfeeding because he, he bit me. Um, and I had like a negative reaction to it. 
of course, because he bit me. Yeah. And, and then I, and I sort of was like, ah, and then he was just, and then basically after that, he was like nine or 10 months old and he got really upset. And then that's it. He would never do it again. (laughs) And I remember like at the time being really sad and being like, oh my God, I like did this thing. I shouldn't have reacted like that. But now when I look back on it, it's like, you know, from like, now that like that's a person who can read, you know, and I like it's looks just so not, you know, it, it sort of doesn't have the emotional valence that it um, that it did. Well, that's a good example because I get that a lot in my office where I'll have a mom come in who is is really not enjoying the pumping process, the you know trying to get what she can, and the baby's now you know eight eight months, seven months, and she's like, doctor is it okay if I stop? I mean, I'm not producing. I'm right. so tired. Is, is the baby still going to have the protective benefits? And, you know, if I'm only giving 30% breast milk or, you know, 70% formula, and I say, I'm like, mom, you need to do what's best for you. I mean, you are giving your baby nutrition of some kind. And that's what makes me happy. Um, the fact that you're even giving 30% awesome, even if you gave 10% or zero, whatever makes you happy. And, but it's that sentiment, right? It's that what you just said, that that guilt of, oh my gosh, is it okay if I'm only even doing this right. much? Is that child going to turn out to be obese or have a low IQ and all, you know, be more sick? And I don't want moms to feel that because yeah. it's so much stress, especially like you said, in that first year of life. You know, I, I, I haven't really said this story and I on my Instagram or maybe on another podcast, but I am very pro breastfeeding. And before I had Ryan, I had a misconception, which I'm going to say right now, I said that I can do it as long as I put my mind to it. I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to breastfeed my son. I'm going to win. Okay? I'm going to win. My type A personality gonna is going to make this happen. I will make it happen, whatever needs to do, whatever needs to happen. Yeah. And to be honest, that mentality was not going to make me successful at breastfeeding. <laughs> it's not helpful. It wasn't helpful no. because no. I struggled. I mean, I, for anyone who doesn't know my story, I was in the ICU. My son was in the ICU. I was sick and pu- waking myself up to pump every three hours. And I was miserable. And I said, I would watch those little drops of colostrum come and I would get so excited. I'd show my husband, I would show my sister. And then finally, when I was like slated to go back to the OR for a procedure after my C-section, I was like, no, I'm done. I, I can't do it. And I, I look at that whole story and I talk to my husband about this. He's like, do you ever regret not trying more? And I say, no, I'm like, I almost feel like for me to be a breastfeeding, loving pediatrician who formula fed her son is what my gift is to the world. Like, It's what my gift is to the world to say, you know what, you can still support breastfeeding and support moms, but have formula fed your own child and support when another mother wants to go that route too. And I think that's what we need a little bit more of. You know, I love lactation consultants, but I want lactation consultants to also understand that at some point the mother may reach their limit. And I don't want that mother to feel that they're not supported in that decision. I don't want them to feel like they're making a bad decision by ending it. Um, and I hate using that word. I shouldn't, but that, you know, transitioning to another way of feeding their baby. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so important because there's so many different ways to feed your baby and, you're like, I love Ryan. I, I look at him and I can't even imagine that I worried about that. You know, it's like, he's a yeah. thriving young boy who's so bright. And I'm like, Oh, it's just, it's, I, I want all the moms listening, whoever worry about that decision to know that they're supported. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think the other, you know, I think there's also a sort of flip side of this, which is like we kind of simultaneously tell women like, you know, breastfeeding is the most important thing. And then we make it like quite hard. Yes. Not just that it's already hard to do, but it's like, well, do you know, it's so important to do that, but don't show me your boob yeah. because I don't want to see, you know, and I think part of, for me, part of what made it go much easier with my son I mean, part of it is just the second kid is easier, but part of it is I just at some point was like, you know what, like, I'm just going to, I'm not, I like, I'm, I'm not getting any nursing covers, you know, I'm just going to like do it wherever. And it actually was much easier because some of like, some of the most difficult struggles I had with my daughter was when I was trying to like, you know, be in a hot closet or something. So people didn't see me. And, and I think that we sort of, we could, we could really balance like simultaneously, like let's make it possible for people to do this if it works for them and it's what they want. And then at the same time, let's just like make it clear that all these other options are also great. And that like, there's a lot of great ways to do this and we should be sort of like broadly supportive of all of them. Oh, I wish we had um, more time to talk about all the different topics in your book. All the different things. Because I'll have to come back. I know, you are. And I, when you emailed me back and said, I'm a fan and I want to be on your podcast, I literally, like, I think I shared it to my Instagram story. Because, again, I just love talking about this with you from just a reasonable, middle ground, common sense way of parenting. You know, this is what we need way more of um, in this world. You know, I think there is not... There should not be this black and white, I have to do this. And if I don't do this, and this is going to happen. So you're amazing. What would be your final take home message for breastfeeding moms, moms who are doing both, moms who choose to formula feed? What would be your message for all of these mothers? You're doing a good job. Oh, I love it. Yes, <laughs> That's it. you are. You you're doing are. a great job. You're doing a great job and your child will turn out amazing with your love and the environment yeah. that you give them. Okay, I, I can't stress that enough. And if I can be that example for any of my mothers who struggle with the decision to formula feed their child, I hope I can give that to you. I am hoping to have another child. You know, my husband and I would love to add to our family. And like you, Emily, I'm hoping that with my second that I can maybe breastfeed. And it's just going to be a choice I make with like, hey, I want to try this. But if I don't do it or if I choose to do formula, I'm going to tell myself, well, I made the choice that's best for me. And I want every mother to make the choice that's best for them, too. That is so important. Uh, well, thank Yay. you so much. You are definitely having, you're going to come back again. I'm, I'm happy that that's an open invitation for you. Um, it is. And everyone, I'll attach a link to her book and any other links that Emily wants to add for her website and whatnot. I know you actually right now are heavily involved in COVID in terms of giving information on schools and other things regarding COVID data, correct? Yeah, I am. So I'll give you, a, I'll send, I'll send you a link to my, um, to my newsletter where I talk a lot about that, that kind yes. of stuff and do a lot of COVID, 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 COVID all the time these days. We, we chose not to talk about COVID yes. today because I know everyone is, that's on your mind, but maybe later we can have her come on again to talk about COVID. <laughs> um, but I am going to attach that in case you all are interested in this sort of, you know, viewpoint on data-driven parenting. So thank you so much, Emily, for coming on today. Thank you so much. Such a treat. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review, share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at PedsDocTalk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, TV. We'll talk to you soon.
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.